And then self-forgiveness, which kind of goes hand in hand with that of saying, you know, I'm so sorry that this happened. And also like, it's okay. Everyone makes mistakes. No one can predict what's going to happen. Like no one can possibly live a life that is, you know, nothing will ever go wrong. So just kind of giving yourself a little bit of grace of like, hey, it's not solely your fault that all this stuff happened. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels. Happy, as always, to have you here listening in. How is everyone doing? I oh so much wish we could have this conversation in person, or at least I could hear your response, but I trust that everyone is just feeling the feels, right? You don't have to be necessarily feeling good, you don't have to necessarily label your emotions or your feelings, but just feel into them, just let them come to the surface and let yourself just really be with them, right? Uh, I think today especially, I am in my feels. I'm in all the emotional aspects of myself because I had a therapy session that was just powerful. (laughs) One of those therapy sessions where afterwards you're kind of like, what do I do now? Do I curl up in a ball and just kind of take a nap? Do I dive into work or do I just sort of like go for a walk and space out for a bit? I guess if you've been following along on Instagram, I've shared a bit about it, but therapy is something I've always been interested in, but I've always struggled to, I don't know, really get into. I experienced like some trauma growing up that I never sought therapy for. And it wasn't until, you know, and then going through an eating disorder and all that fun stuff in between that so many of you can relate to. Um, and it wasn't until the past year or so that I really realized that therapy was something I wanted to pursue. I felt like I had done a lot of healing for my physical body, you know, and I was becoming more self-aware and doing all the self-help and, you know, all that fun stuff that I discuss on the podcast and that you see on Instagram and etc. But I wasn't working with anyone in such a manner for my mental health, right? And I think there's only so much you can do on your own or even in a community to support and really dive into the mental health side of things. And my entire philosophy with this podcast, with my life, with the work I do is 360 wellness, mind, body, spirit. And so for me, I felt like it was very important that I at least give therapy a shot. Now, let me tell you what, it was not easy to find a therapist, not one with insurance, not one that kind of was educated and well-spoken in the fields that I struggle the most in, but by many like long emails and trying and failing, not failing, but you know, wanting to give up, etc. I eventually, eventually, like literally took me four months of being here in Austin. I found one and not going to lie at first. I was skeptical. I was like, I don't, oh my God, my cat is just dipping her paw in my water. Luna, get out. I swear there's no peace in this home. I guess that's what I get for living with three cats and a dog. Anyway, uh, where was I going with this? Oh, first session. I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm outsmarting the therapist. I'm sure if you've been in therapy, you felt this at some point. But after like two more, one more session, actually, I kind of, I clicked, right? Like things clicked. And suddenly we kind of found our groove where I felt comfortable enough to share And she was able to sort of see through the rambling, jumbling mess, spewing of words that I would speak. She was able to see and identify like the the important parts, right? Like the golden nuggets, the triggers, the lightning bolt moments. And she would then be able to prompt me to speak more on those. And anyone who has gone through a hard thing, right? Whether your parents got divorced or you lost someone close to you or an abusive relationship or uh, just overall toxic relationship. Um, Maybe you're just feeling like overwhelmed, anxiety, etc. So many things that can affect us. Disordered eating, etc. 
it can be so easy to sort of speak what's bothering you, but keep a wall up. You know, it's like you're sharing, but you're not sharing 100%. And that's how I felt. And that's how I feel oftentimes. And with her, it's like I'll so easily breeze over something that's obviously a big deal. But to me, it's like, oh, it's nothing. You know, like my aunt died, etc. after my mom, yada, yada, yada. And she's like, whoa, 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 hold up. Like, let's break this down. Let's discuss this, right? And that's an extreme example. But there are much more minor examples that are just as important. And so overall, I just like, therapy has been such a blessing. And I've only been going for four weeks now. <laughs> so I'm so excited to continue on this and just help work through any lingering trauma and built up emotion and just overall become more of my most authentic self which I know authentic it's overused whatever but it's true like I just feel like therapy is helping me slowly day time session by session peel back more of the layers of this like protective shield right and this imprint that we all get from society so I'm very excited for that and as you all know trauma is a big thing happens to everybody it happens in a variety of ways there's some people describe it as like big t trauma and little t trauma however you want to differentiate it trauma happens to everyone we've all experienced it in one form or another and that's why i'm so excited for today's guest emmy marie of blooming with emmy on instagram she is a trauma coach helping transform toxic shame into self-compassion It's all in the name of helping others lead an empowered and joyful life after any sort of trauma. Uh, But her work does have a more so focus on healing from the trauma after abuse. And this is from her own experience with it, as you'll hear her share in today's episode. I mean, as I said before, we all experience trauma. And all trauma leaves an imprint on life. Some forms of it are a bit more difficult to work through or to detect on your own. And that's why for me, therapy is important. And for some, working with a trauma coach like Emmy is important. It helps. And as you'll hear Emmy explain in the story, she went through her own experience with an abusive relationship that really traumatized her. And it wasn't until much time afterwards that she started to realize the trauma was still affecting her. It was impacting her decisions and her habits and her mindset how she interacted with others and any relationships moving forward and it was only through truly like 360 healing which is what you know this community the show everything is about it was only through that 360 healing and analysis of it that she was able to not only heal her trauma but get to a place where she's now able to help heal others as well actually that's not the right term she doesn't help heal them she just is there to support motivate and guide them on their own healing journey right because at the end of the day you're the only one that can really heal yourself it's gotta come from within as cheesy as that may sound so in this episode overall we do discuss the many different signs and ways and situations scenarios of an abusive relationship this can relate to many more of us than i think most of us would realize (laughs) Uh, and in that understanding what trauma even is and from that repeating the patterns of her past to seeking external validation uh, what to consider with any relationship whether it's relating to abuse or not and then just overall trusting your intuition when it comes to things like this this conversation was so moving so powerful I just felt such a deep connection to Emmy and her story and the work she does. And it really opened my eyes to just how many little ways that we all hold trauma in our body, in our life, and how it impacts us without us even realizing. So I highly, highly encourage you give this a listen. And if it resonates, please let us know. Emmy is on Instagram at Blooming with Emmy, and I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. Everything will be linked below if you want to learn more, connect, etc. And even if this episode, you know, isn't for you, or maybe it is for you, either way, you can also always share it with someone in your life you think may need it, may benefit from it. That is such an amazing way to support others, to help them, and it helps the podcast grow. I just love this community so much. You guys are so, so special to me, and I'm just really hoping that in the future we can find more ways to connect and just keep on thriving together. So much love, much appreciation for you all. And without further ado, let's begin. 
Well, then to get started here, if you don't mind just, you know, giving a little bit of an introduction to yourself and kind of taking us back to where things started for you. And I think that'll give people a good idea, good direction of where this conversation is going to lead today, um, because there's a lot to unpack with it all. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Um, So I'm Emmy. I go by Emmy Marie is like my professional name. Um, I'm now a certified trauma-informed coach that particularly specializes in helping people reject shame, kind of owning their story and coming to a place of self-acceptance and self-compassion so that they're able to create lasting, sustainable and supportive relationships and other aspects of their lives um, after trauma. So this came about for me because when I was a teenager, I was in an abusive relationship that was this interesting um, intersection between childhood and adulthood, right? And anyone that's been in any form of traumatic relationship in high school will definitely know how real it is. Um, But sometimes it's hard to convey the experience because it's you're not an adult. So it's not quite like domestic violence or like whatever you would think of as like an abusive relationship in adulthood, but it's not quite child abuse either, although you're still a child. But when you're in your adolescent years, your brain is developing at such a rapid rate that like abuse you experience during that time can be similar to when you experience abuse as like a five-year-old or under those really developmental years. Um, and especially in adolescence, you know, all the hormones stuff is happening and there's so much social pressure as well that it can add a whole sort of complications. But anyways, a little bit more about me specifically is I was in what is commonly known as a narcissistically abusive relationship. And I'm not here to say this person was a narcissist or was diagnosed with NPD. Um, that's not the point of this, but if you ever look up narcissistic abuse, it's, um, sort of strange how it almost seems like there's a guidebook for this. And everyone I talk to that's experienced this, it's almost exactly the same. It starts with a lot of love bombing and that person kind of grooming you um, to become dependent on them and their approval of you. So this involves tons of praise, tons of, you're the only one for me. I'm, this was meant to be, we're meant to be together. Um, And as someone who was always really excited about falling in love as a teenager and really like thought that was kind of my purpose in life, um, that was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Like feeling that connection with someone, feeling this like overwhelming acceptance and love from someone was intoxicating and basically, you know, got me hooked. And then the abuse slowly begins. So an analogy I like to use that I've heard before is if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will immediately jump out. But if you put a frog in some lukewarm water and you slowly over time increase the heat, it will boil to death. So this is kind of the nature of an abusive relationship in this style is everything was so subtle at the beginning of just this controlling energy tons of gaslighting that would make me feel crazy. Um, I was convinced I had, you know, some sort of mental illness after dating this person for four or five months because I would be upset all the time. It was hard for me to um, ever feel good enough about myself. And every time we fought, it was always framed as it was my fault. Um, But he would become very suspicious of me, jealous of everything I did, but in a way that said, I really care about you. You're mine. You know, this possessive energy that I thought was romantic. And I think a lot of the media we are given, especially maybe our generation growing up, was very romanticizing this. You know, I'm even thinking like Twilight or something like the the person is like obsessed with the other one. And it's like, I will I will take care of you. But also like you're under my control. Um, So anyways, I just started going through this relationship thinking my idea was always if I'm better then he will stop like if I'm just better he won't make me cry every day if I'm just better he won't be falling apart in his own personal life like everything is up to me to fix this person and to make it okay and while all this is going on it's manifesting in a lot of emotional abuse as I've kind of talked about a lot of manipulation tactics a lot of isolation and then also increasing amounts of verbal abuse so violent 
language, name calling, um, degradation, humiliation, lots of experiences that made me want to hide the relationship from everyone that loved me because a part of me knew I'm a smart person. Like I, I knew, you know, if people knew the shit he was saying to me, like they would call it out and be like, hey, what are you doing? But I was convinced, oh, I love him. Like if I'm just better, he'll stop. So I can't tell anyone what's happening and I have to pretend that everything's okay. Which builds up this really enormous pressure on someone of like, I have to pretend like it's all good and everything's fine and I'm going to school and I'm, you know, doing all my extracurriculars, trying to maintain my friendships, but I am like losing sleep every night. I'm on this guy's beck and call, you know, he, he's got me on the puppet strings and it just devolved. So he started getting in trouble with the law. He was in high school as well. He got expelled from our high school. Um, he got kicked out of his house. He was in and out of jail. And I just kept defending him over and over. And it took a long time for my parents to finally figure out the extent of how he was treating me. Um, and they, you know, did the best they could to try to get me to stop. But anyone who can relate to this will probably know the harder people try to get you away from that person, the more you latch on, especially when they're telling you, um, you know, my boyfriend at the time was telling me he would hurt himself, hurt me or hurt other people if I would leave him. Um, yeah, he was also very convinced I was cheating on him. I got to the point where I couldn't really even talk to someone of the opposite sex at all. He would search my phone, knew all my passwords, all that behavior that I never knew was considered abuse because he wasn't like beating me. So that's a big part of my mission is like awareness of even what abuse is because this resulted in, you know, this was a relationship I was in for three years. On top of all that, there was a lot of sexual abuse that, you know, is anyways, it's kind of par for the course with this whole dynamic is like, you're an object, your mind to use and control your body isn't yours. So this resulted in me having what is called complex PTSD, um, which is not in the DSM, the, the manual for diagnosing uh, disorders. So I've been diagnosed with PTSD, but if you look up the difference between complex and regular PTSD. Complex is typically a result of uh, long-term developmental abuse or trauma. Uh, so different than kind of like a one-time event, this is something that has occurred over time and has basically taught you to be afraid of everything for a really long time. So that's kind of the origin story. And then moving on from that, um, I started repeating that cycle which means basically continuing to chase people who kind of mimicked his energy of being emotionally unavailable at best to abusive at worst, but abusive in a different way that I, you know, I said, I'm never going to date someone like that. I'm free. I'm done with that. You know, I had this in my head, but I didn't actually process that anything that I had happened was trauma. I had no idea what trauma was. I was given the narrative, just move forward. And that's what I did. So ironically now as a coach, you know, coaching really is about moving forward, but I'm a trauma-informed coach. So I'm always taking into consideration how the past can impact someone and not bypassing that to try to excel or to get ahead or to reach our goals. Because if we're not taking into consideration the past, we're going to self-sabotage or come up against blocks again and again, because everything that happened to us is not lost. You know, it, it's still in there unless we've processed it um, at the very least are aware of it or just giving it some attention. So that's a little bit about kind of my history. And I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll probably be going deeper into what I do now, but yeah. <laughs> oh my, well, just so much. My mind was just firing off with questions yeah. and thoughts and sure. such. Um, and just real quick on that, like last bit you said there, yeah. it made me think of the book, um, the body, I think it's the body keeps score. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just how true that is, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. we think that once we overcome something, once it's in the past, it's like, oh, we can move forward. I'm good. I'm good now. Right. And it's just not the truth, unfortunately, most of the time. And I know even in my own experience yesterday, I had a therapy session and mm -hmm. I thought it was just going to be like an initial consultation, you know, well, we start like diving into a bit of my past that I thought I was okay with. I thought I had overcome. And we got yeah. to this part that I always just not so subtly skip over, which is when I went to a physical treatment center for my eating disorder. Mm. And 
the amount of trauma that Mm -hmm. suddenly just appeared in my body. Mm -hmm. I like, I wound up having like a breakdown. It was immense. And at the end of it, I just said, you know, I've always been aware that the body holds trauma, it holds on to things, but like, I guess I just hadn't really applied that to as many things in my past as I had thought. And so I, I love what you said there about that and just, you know, how it is important to be aware, but I think part of working through any sort of cycle is taking into account, right? Like all the parts, especially what started said cycle, Mm -hmm. uh, which oftentimes is in the past. Um, But I guess like going back a bit to this time and everything that was in it, you, uh, something you, you know, pointed out and something that I really want to drive in on is that feeling of not enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And for you, it was feeling that you weren't enough for him to make him happy, to make, you know, to be, you know, you're part of the relationship. And so I guess, how have you since then worked through that particular feeling, emotion, experience of just not feeling enough and just working to really change that narrative in, in your own mind? Yeah, amazing question. This is so, so fundamental to the work I do and my own personal healing work is basically the concept of rejecting shame is what I call it, or like an anti-shame approach. So shame is this idea of like, I am bad or I, there's something wrong with me. And it can come out in many different core beliefs. For me and many others, it's this constant nagging thought or belief of I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. And so for me, when I didn't process everything that had just happened for three years that drilled into me that I'm not good enough, I didn't process that at all. So I just started replicating that energy with everyone that I tried to pursue and pretty much everything I tried to accomplish was it would eventually get to a point where instead of standing up for myself and being like, hey, how you're treating me isn't okay. Or like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time on this. I was like, I'm not good enough you know, it's always on to me and I have the responsibility. So for me, it took me a very long time, you know, years to kind of understand what trauma was and what shame is and how trauma and shame are just like this dynamic duo that are trying to keep you safe ultimately, but in a way that is really damaging. And so when I say that, I mean, if you were taught for years of your life that you are not good enough, And then you go out into the world and you're trying to act in a way that says, I am good enough. Your body and your brain don't know that that's okay. They they think something bad is going to happen if you kind of defy that abuser or defy whatever the trauma taught you. Because in the past, it was dangerous. Like if I... If I spoke to him in a way that was like, hey, no, you can't do this to me, I would get in immense trouble. It would make everything worse. So it's like this, they they really put the, and not just abusers, but trauma, it puts the fear in you of like, if I do something different than what my core shame belief says, something really bad is going to happen. So that's why it can be really hard to kind of let go or break through or just navigate these negative core beliefs. And that's like a huge part of the work I do with clients is like first kind of getting to understand what do I believe about myself? Why do I believe that about myself? And how can I start acting in a way that defies that? And how can I be safe while doing that? So for me, a lot of it was coming down to setting boundaries since mine was so interpersonal and relationship-based. It was like realizing like I can't be available to everyone all the time. I can't say yes all the time. I can't let people keep treating me like a doormat because they're not going to stop unless I change and I, I decide to stop. Um, so I became like pretty introverted and started kind of doing things for myself for really the first time. And like self-care has become this incredibly trendy kind of little like keyword buzzword. But if you were taught not to take care of yourself and it's bad to care about yourself at all or care for yourself, it is like profoundly radical and challenging to trauma to say, Hey, I'm going to spend time tonight even 20 minutes, just like tending to myself instead of doing all the other things we do to try to cope with those feelings. So honestly, it all comes down to a lot of practice and just kind of defying this shameful belief in whatever way, you know, there's lots of different ways to do that and just keep practicing it and keep coming back and being like, it is safe to do this. Um, Not to mention, of course, creating a life around you that is actually supportive of that. So 
if you're trying to start taking care of yourself and you're in a household where your parents, for example, are telling you that's selfish, that's bad, you're only going to get so far because they're, they're just going to keep pushing you back. So especially without support or someone encouraging you or someone saying like, hey, you can do this. It's okay. You know, you deserve this. It's really hard. Well, hey, that's just like, so, you know, it's, it's so true. And there's so much to be said from that. And mm-hmm. kind of what it was getting me thinking of is I'm reading another good book recommendation, I suppose, is Atomic Habits. And what, that. yeah. And like what you were saying in the beginning about how when you spend so much time believing one thing, right, maybe it's you're not enough or, you know, you're damaged or you're overweight or you're this, you know, you're dumb, whatever it is, when you spend enough time thinking that or kind of relating that to a reaction or a response from someone else, it can in a way become a subconscious habit, right? Because then you said like you go out in the world and you're trying to just kind of live your life. You're trying to like move forward. And if you have that subconscious habit of if I do this or I do that, you know, this is the response or this is the reaction like that, that's hard. I mean, in that sense, it's, that's breaking a habit. And that takes a lot more than just saying like, that's in my past that takes work that takes, you know, dedication and practice there. So I think that's kind of like important to know as well. And then, um, yeah, what you were saying about boundaries, I think that is so important because there, I feel, you know, in my life, it's been hard to set those with people because, in a sense, you know, I always felt selfish setting a boundary and the way you were talking about self-care and boundaries, you know, in two different retrospects, but still, I think that they can connect in a way where Mm -hmm. something such as setting a boundary can be such a form of self-care. And so I guess like, do you have a few examples of boundaries you set or, you know, one specific one and how you set it just to give people an idea of, yes, it can feel hard, but you can do it. And there is a benefit and it can help you out in the end. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think for me, it doesn't really necessarily sound like a boundary, but I guess it's kind of an energetic boundary of like, I'm not going to pretend to be someone I'm not in order to be accepted, or I'm not going to put myself down or put myself last in order to make other people happy. So this can manifest in like so many different ways, but I think it's having this energy of like, I am not damaged or like, like I am not inherently bad for what I've been through. Because if you're coming from this place of like, you know, I, I need to kind of prove myself because I am such a mess or like my past was so awful, like whatever, I need to prove that I'm better now and I'm okay instead of like actually just being vulnerable and being real with where you're at, like, obviously that's not going to work. Like, it's not like every single person, you know, you can't maybe go to your boss and be like, Oh, like I'm struggling so much like today, you know, you have to like discern, but like for me, it was just with everyone in my life. I felt like I was just white knuckling my truth and holding it really close. And like my therapist would see it once every two weeks, a little bit. And I would be writing tons of stuff in my journal and like on notes on my phone, but like around everyone else, I was just putting on this mask of like, I'm fine. I'm successful. I'm happy. And like, it was just slowly, like just, just wearing me down and exhausting me. So I think a good sign that you need to make a boundary is either if you feel really angry, bitter, resentful, or you feel just really exhausted and it's like hard to hard to keep it up and you feel like you're treading water all the time. That was what I constantly was feeling like I just I'm right on the edge of just slipping down and no one can tell. Like no one knows. And that's just exhausting. So, although this is kind of a weird example for like a boundary, it's I guess it was just more of like an inner decision of like if if basically if people can't accept that, if people don't you know, if I, if I am vulnerable, if I kind of show who I really am and I say no to going out when I want to stay in and they get mad at me, okay, like there's a boundary, like then you're not, I'm not going to invest as much energetically into this relationship or friendship or whatever, because you don't actually respect who I really am. You just like me for who you want me to be. And I understand that I've been pretending to be that person. You know, I take responsibility for that, but I'm done. So for me, a lot of times this stuff has come to this point of where I'm just like, I'm done. Like I can't, I can't do it anymore, which I, you know, now in hindsight or just moving forward with 
my work. Like I, I do want to get people to the point of maybe implementing these things before they completely have to. And rather it's still like a choice. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they just get to this point of like, okay, like I, I don't know how to go on like this. Like I need to change now. And I'm like, cool, I got you. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, in that sense, it's almost preventative, self-care preventative. No, no, I love, I love that as what you said, an energetic boundary, because I think that's one of the things we forget about most often, right? Like so many of us are focused immensely, almost too much on our physical appearance, physical wellness, physical, et cetera, mental health, definitely a lot more out there. But when it comes to like that energetic sense of who we are, how we're presenting ourselves to the world, how we're going out there, like it so often gets forgotten. And so to have an energetic boundary like that, like that is so powerful. And it also kind of relates to something else that I wanted to discuss with you, which is how, you know, and this goes for any relationship. It might be one that is abusive. It might be one that's not. It might just be one that's not quite working out that has some turmoil in it. But so often I see this in myself and others where we start to sell ourselves short. We start to abandon parts of ourselves because we're trying to please others. We're trying to fix things. We're trying to just make everything right. And I think, you know, in that sense, it kind of goes into place with that energetic boundary you were just sharing there, right? Where it's like, this is me. I'm not damaged. I'm going out here, you know? And so I guess going back to that initial question, like, what are some ways that people might be selling themselves short in a relationship or, you know, like abandoning parts of themselves or however you want to take this part of the conversation? Yeah. I just really want to kind of explore that because yeah. I think it is so, so present nowadays, yeah. especially. Yeah. And I think relationships is something almost everyone is interested in. Um, and I certainly am. And, you know, for a long time in my life, I was like, why does everyone have a hobby or something cool like and creative they like to do? And I'm just like, I love my relationships and friendships and stuff. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. It's like my career now, you know? So anyways, yes, always happy to talk about this. Um, so some of the ways I think people might sell themselves short or abandon themselves in a relationship is not having boundaries at all. So kind of like always feeling like you need to be available to that person And if you say no, or you, you know, say like, not right now, even to the point of like, can we talk about this later? I don't have the emotional bandwidth right now, or like I'm busy or just something like, can we talk about this in a little bit? Like, first of all, just not doing any of those things and feeling like, oh, I have to be available all the time, or I have to be like, you know, present and like saying yes all the time. Uh, This happens a lot in career relationships as well, uh, is like not having boundaries with your work. all of that's coming from a place of like, I'm not good enough unless I'm making other people happy. So I think that's one way. Um, Also not speaking up for your needs to try to keep people around. So like not saying, like I have a lot of people that they, they come to me and they start telling me all this stuff that they're like struggling with and they're thinking about their partner or their, you know, and I'm like, so like, have you mentioned any of this to them? And it's like, well, no. And it's like, totally. I get that. I do that. You know, we all do this, but like, honestly, if you're worried about keeping them so much that you're not saying how you feel, why would they don't know who you are? You know? So if you're trying to make them love you by not telling them how you're really feeling, they don't love you. Like they don't know you, they don't know, you know? So obviously it's a fine line and it's not like, Oh, just go ahead and say everything you think right on the spot. But like, if you're sort of, becoming bitter or becoming resentful, feeling like you're giving and giving and giving and they're not, or you have this emotional need and they are not fulfilling it. And you're just trying to like do it all yourself. Like there's so much emphasis on self-healing and like individual work. And I'm not against that, but like, if you're trying to just heal all on your own or only take care of yourself and like, you know, it's not sustainable. Like you're allowed to depend on others. Like it's okay. you don't have to like pretend in order to be good enough, you know? And it's like, if they are hurt by some of the things you say, you can work through that. Like you can communicate through that. And, but it's better than just hiding it and pretending like it's not there where it will slowly kind of erode from within. I think another thing, I don't know if it's selling ourselves short, but it's just something I see a lot is people meeting someone and being like, oh my God, they're so great. Like they're a safe person. This is all good. 
and everything's wonderful. And then a couple weeks later, something like they, they have an argument or something. And it's like, uh, like, I don't know if I can trust them. I don't. And it's like, whoa, like, why do you feel like you have to trust them? You've known them for four weeks or six weeks. Like, it's okay. Like, and I think with COVID, this is especially a thing because if we're with someone, we're kind of like maybe with, with them like a lot because they're one of the only people in our bubble or something like that. But realizing like, if this was like normal world or something, um, or how I consider people, some people are able to kind of date is like, you know, you go on a date once a week for like six weeks. And then you're like, Hey, like, this is great. Let's maybe take it a step further. And like, be boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, not, not just boyfriend, girlfriend, but just partners. Sorry. Um, and then like, then things can naturally evolve and maybe months down the road, you're like, Oh my God, I love you. But like, you're not expecting after six weeks to be like committed. You trust them fully. You love them. Like it, we're putting ourselves on these expectations of like, we need to know right away. And that can lead to like a lot of stress and a lot of doubt um, and it's reality is just like, if you just go slower and get a bit more distance, like that's okay. You know, it, you're allowed to kind of be an autonomous person that has this person you like, and it's going well without feeling like, oh, if I don't trust them now, that's it's, I don't, I'm never going to trust them or something like that. What you said there with expectations, I mean, huge, mm-hmm. like what this last part here. And I personally just feel it so deeply where yeah. Yeah. It was like, I started seeing a guy and with it being COVID times, you know, it was like, he was part of my like bubble in a sense. And so I was able to see him a bit more. And I think I did just get caught up in like the expectations and sort of like, you have to, everything has to feel right, you know, within the first four to six, seven weeks. And I mean, it's just so tricky in a sense. And I had a friend point out something to me where she was like, it's such a common thing nowadays where it's like you meet somebody and immediately like you're dating and then immediately like this happens and this, and it's almost just like, almost like another guidebook. And she was like, before though, it was like, you'd meet somebody, you know, you might go a while without seeing them. Then you'd see them again. Like it, it it was such a more gradual buildup. And I think it allowed more space for you to really feel into things um, and really approach it from a different mindset or to even you know, kind of see like not to declare it right away. And so right. you're still kind of going out in, in non COVID times and meeting, right. you know, different people. And right. you're just allowing yourself to experience so many different things versus just hinging it all on one expectation for this totally. one hopeful relationship. Totally. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine that that would be like a whole other side to things as well. Yeah. I think about like, if you, if you like had a coworker and you we're like, Hey, you're my coworker. And you know, a couple of weeks go by and you're like, Oh, I'm kind of into you. And like, you're still just friends at work. And like, you barely know each other, but like, you know, at work, sometimes you can really bond with someone. Like I'm thinking like food service where you're like talking all day. Yes. And then like, after like two months or something, you're finally like, get the courage to like ask them out. And then you go out and it's like, it's exciting. It's fun, but you're not like, Oh my god, like you're not like worrying so much about like the relationships dynamic. Like, sure, you're nervous or something because you don't want to ruin the friendship or whatever, but like it's not this like intense, like I meet you or like I, I like you on an app, and then now it's like, are we compatible or not? Like you you get the slow buildup. And so it is really hard to date right now. And I really have compassion for everyone that's trying because um yeah, it sounds hard. <laughs> it's fucking hard yeah Uh, yeah what you were saying there is I'm in food service so it's just funny that you said that because I've had a few people where I'm like that's the way to go like to I don't know like the gradual build-up whether it's through friendship or mutual acquaintances or you're seeing them at the same coffee shop or store that you go in whatever like it's such a difference versus just like the swipe like compatibility mindset of the dating apps And so, yeah, that's a definite thing. Uh, And kind of going back in the first bit of this all, you brought up the concept of trust a bit. And you were saying how, you know, like we're so easy to either trust people or not trust people and sort of throw that around. And trust is just such an important facet of life. And I didn't really realize this until the last few weeks, actually, when Mm -hmm. I realized how, you know, like I've always known that I personally had a hard time trusting others. Like I'm very open. I'll share, 
But when people are actually getting close to me, my walls and my boundaries just go up like rapid fire. And I was talking to a therapist and we start going into all these other aspects. And what I started to realize is that I have trust with so many different parts of life, right? Like I have trust issues with my body. I've, you know, I have issues trusting my cravings and what foods I want. I have Mm -hmm. trust issues with work and with friendships and with romantic, you know, acquaintances, everything. And so trust is just such a critical, like vital part of our life. Yet it's something that so many struggle with. And so I guess for anyone who's maybe gone through a traumatic experience or an abusive relationship or just a hard relationship, some event, some experience where trust was broken. Like, what is your advice for working to build to trust again? Totally. Because I think that is just such a such a process to go through. Yeah, yeah. I would love to talk about this. Um, it's a huge topic. And I I think what's really interesting is a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, I was cheated on or something like that. And it's hard. I can't trust anyone. Is that trauma? And it's like, there's no need to define something as trauma or not. If something from your past is influencing your present in a negative way, like you will benefit from trauma education or work, although you don't necessarily have PTSD, it doesn't matter. Um, Anyways. So yes, trust is a huge thing because it's, it's, inhibiting so much of our joy. If like, you know, you can't trust anything, it's exhausting. So yeah. So some things that I think is important is to start with trusting yourself and you can simultaneously work on trusting others too. But some ways that I like to think about trusting yourself again after, because the reason it's important is like with shame or when someone else breaks your trust, sometimes we do jump into just like, everyone's bad. I can't trust anyone except myself. That's kind of the avoidant attachment style. Um, But more often it's like, yeah, I can't trust anyone else, but I also can't trust myself because I picked them and they did this to me. I'm stupid or like, it's my fault. That's what shame is. So that's when, you know, the self-trust needs to be kind of built up a little bit. So some ways that I think are possible to go about this is reconnecting with your body and for some people that does not feel safe or accessible but if that's something that does not feel traumatic or too triggering for you um just starting to kind of notice and pay attention to your body whether that's doing like a body scan meditation or some sort of you know somatic body-based um practice of some kind doing some sort of movement um and just seeing like what does things what do things feel like in my body Like, is my stomach clenched? Is like, how does my heart feel? How does my throat feel? And just starting to pay attention. And like, when you go about the world and you're talking to someone and you feel this like thing in your gut, you know, notice that instead of just trying to push through it and like logic your way out of it. Another thing that I think is helpful is connecting with your inner child um, when you're healing self-trust. So if you are struggling to think that you are trustworthy or reliable, reconnecting with the part of you that may have felt betrayed by you. For example, if you, you know, were really deeply hurt because you chose to date someone that ended up hurting you really badly, connecting with that part of you, not necessarily your inner child, but your past self, or for me, it's like my inner teenager and just seeing like, Hey, are you okay? What do you need from me? And being this kind of thoughtful, compassionate parent to that part of you, whether it's two years like ago or, you know, whatever, it doesn't really have to be a child, but just your past self and just saying, Hey, I'm here. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, and just instead of ignoring it and just trying to like move on and just, I don't know. I think it's very helpful to imagine this as a real kind of person inside of you, but ultimately it's just you. Um, and then self-forgiveness, which kind of goes hand in hand with that of saying, you know, I'm so sorry that this happened. And also like, it's okay everyone makes mistakes. No one can predict what's going to happen. Like no one can possibly live a life that is, you know, nothing will ever go wrong. So just kind of giving yourself a little bit of grace of like, Hey, it's not solely your fault that all this stuff happened. Then if we're moving into kind of healing trust with other people, some things that um, I've identified is taking small risks. So instead of like, trying to trust someone with your life or whatever, or like something really big, like your darkest secrets, telling them like one little thing and see how they react. 
So like, you know, if you've had, say your parents got divorced and you're like totally fine with that now, um, but you were traumatized in like an abusive relationship later. So you're not comfortable telling them about that, but you're like, hey, my parents got divorced. It was really hard for me. And then see if they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you want to talk more about that? Or like, oh, me too. Like, yeah, that is really hard. Like, are they compassionate? Are they receptive? Are they here for you? Or are they like, oh, like, are they like dismissive? Are they, you know, how do they react? Like, do you get a good feeling of like, yeah, this person is emotionally available? Because if they're not, that doesn't necessarily make them abusive or like a, it's not like a huge red flag, but it's just something to be like, do you want to be with someone that can't even be there for you about something that isn't a big deal anymore? Because what's going to happen when it is? Um, and then kind of paying attention to the good signs you get from people. So assuming, you know, things are going well, but you're still struggling with trust, paying attention to like little ways they come through for you, like setting expectations, like, it's important to me that you show up at this time and then they do it instead of just like, like breezing right through that, just like notice and like maybe write it down of like, Hey, this person said what they were going to do, you know? So just kind of bringing conscious awareness to the ways that people are trustworthy because our brain is going to fixate on the problems and we have to take conscious effort to notice the, the successes. I was just, yeah, I was just thinking that that I was having conversation with a friend last night and I was like, it was when I ended this most recent relationship of mine. And I was like, you know, I did end up getting rather nitpicky and focusing on a lot of the not so good, but we she and I were talking and we were reflecting and I was just reflecting on a lot of the good, you know, in it too. And I was like, Mm -hmm. so crazy how our mind does like to pick up on one big quote unquote bad or all the bad. Um, and we're not so trained to see all the, all the little wins, all the little kind of like good signs along the way. Right. So I think that alone is very important to remember. And then it was, it's fascinating too. I think you're so right there where it's like really understanding, you know, do I have, if someone's experiencing trust issues, I think they might be, it's like, okay, is it just with external or is it internal too? And in that sense, like it can be such yeah. a process and the word that came to mind and you mentioned it earlier was just self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? In those moments. So that experience of kind of reflecting on a past experience and being there with yourself and the grace and the, you know, forgiveness and everything that comes with it. Like that just to me, like oozes of the word, like self-compassion and yeah. such a good feeling that comes from that. Um, so I just right. think that's so, so neat. And something I wanted to ask you about here is just like when it comes to building those trust muscles again, almost, right? Like you said, like little tests, um, ways to then be able to identify when your trust muscle is kicking in, I suppose. And so Uh for me, that's like representative of my intuition. And Mm. that's something I've had to really learn along the way to trust. Um, Because there are moments where you kind of think, you know, what you want, or you think, you know, what you need to do when you do it, and it doesn't turn out the way you expected you know, going back to expectations here. Uh, And that can be hard because it's almost takes a blow to that trust muscle, to that intuition and teaches you to not trust it again. So um, I guess just like overall, has there been any in your healing journey and such, were there any intuitive moments or just like trusting moments that really, that were really impactful for you or that led you to, you know, where you are currently in this present day space, I suppose? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so I am, I was like the professional don't trust my intuition person. So I just want to start with that is like, I had tons of intuitive hits and also just body, like gut feelings as they're called throughout the entirety of the abuse and the entirety of like the following years, um, that I ignored because I was just like, no, like the shame, the internal voice of like, no, it's your fault was so strong, like the conditioning. Um, but looking back, yes, I, I can see there was lots of times where stuff would just f- never work out. Like I just had this feeling of like, it never works out. Like it can never be easy versus when I was in a relationship with someone that I'm still with now, I've been with for four and a half years, everything like would just fall into place like easily, effortlessly. It didn't feel like I had to fight 
for us to get along, or I had to like put this tremendous pressure for things to go well. Same, honestly, same with career stuff is, you know, before this, I was doing environmental science. That's what my degree is in. And I was always felt like I was really having to force myself to like it. Um, just because science isn't really where my skill set is, but I, I had an interest in the education and stuff. So it's like, if you feel like you're kind of forcing something to happen, that might be because you're going up against like, it's not the right fit. Um, and I, yeah, so I think trusting your intuition is like just noticing any form of ease in your life. Like, you know, for me, it was like, I would be writing and I'm like, I love writing. Like, this is wonderful. I love learning and reading about trauma, like as hard as it is, you know, it's, it's fascinating and I want to do it. So it's like taking those things seriously of like, Hey, like this actually matters. Like what comes naturally to you? There is something for you to do with that. Um, yeah. So I think this is, I don't know if this is exactly what you were asking, but just, yeah, trusting trusting that like what comes easy is actually important it's not just you know it's not just something to ignore or breeze past yeah I'm so happy that the conversation went there because it's cool. so damn true where it's like we just to be aware of the areas of our life where there is ease and flow and the areas yeah. of our life where there's restrictions and just hurdle after hurdle or obstacles yeah. I mean it, it is a balance between the two because sometimes the best things in life are going to come with a bit, you know, you have to do the work and you're going right. to hit obstacles and you have to keep going. Right. But so often it's like, we just, we just, it's like, we keep banging our head against the wall, trying to make something work. And it takes until something happens to really show us like, this isn't going to work. And that yeah. could be with career. It could be with relationships. And I, I think it's just so important to take inventory of your, you know, in basic terms, likes and dislikes, because not yeah. only does that help you out in career and life, but also with a relationship. Like if you go into a relationship already knowing, you know, that there's resistance, there is uh, not ease, there is a dislike of people who are emotionally, you know, distant or who do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I mean, like maybe that can just kind of help, you know, with the overall analysis and exploration of things. If you kind of go into it, knowing that or being aware of it at least beforehand yeah. too. So um, yeah. And I just want to add something like what's really interesting about this is particularly if you are a trauma survivor and you go into a safe relationship, it might feel like incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly awkward, or like you don't know what to do because you're so used to like the chaos and the, you know, just constant chaos, like just, you know, whether it's abuse or just turmoil or you're chasing someone or whatever, like you're used to that, you know how to play that game. So when you're with someone that's like, I don't have a game to play, it's like, what the, like, what do I do? You know? So I just want to say that is like, don't think that's your intuition. That's more of like a trauma thing. That's like, it's scary to kind of just be with someone that's not like messing with you and is actually just real because it's like, whoa, do I fit in with this? Is this okay? Um, so yeah, be aware that, you know, that's a thing. And like, like you said, obstacles are always going to happen, but like, do you feel like you're forcing something to work when it's just not, you know? Yeah, no. And I think it's interesting going back to, in the beginning, when you said how, you know, twilight, like there's so many examples of yeah. toxic relationships and just that interaction. I had a relationship, uh, writer on a while ago and she was saying, something similar there where we're so used to seeing in the movies and the books and everything, these relationships where it's like the highs and the, like the entire plot is highs and lows, right? So it's like, they're fighting, they make up, they're fighting, yep. they make up, something traumatic happens, they're reconnected, et cetera, et cetera. Seriously. And so it's like, we get into such a mindset of relationships having like the high and the low and the high and the low. And it's pretty much, we do it, you know, people do it with everything in life. It's the dopamine spike. It is, you know, to keep things interesting, exciting. Right. And so then it can feel weird when, like you said, a relationship or anything in life is just easy or just yes. flows. It's like, wait, yes. what? Or like it's slowly, you know, yeah. you're growing more like exactly in love or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, just, such a, yeah. it can feel so just unsettling because it's so, it's like new like if you haven't right. had that in your life yet or you know if you haven't had a lot of it like right 
So that is true. I like what you said there to just be aware that that too, you know, feeling those feelings in a sort of situation like that, that can be a trauma response. Um, it's just the truth of the matter. Yeah. And it's like, if you are someone that is with a partner that is like very stable and things are just, you're, you're kind of like bored, you can get that fix of drama, like in books and TV shows and movies or like whatever, like there's tons of ways to satisfy the desire for like passion and catastrophe and fighting and all that stuff without actually having to like manifest that in your own relationship and cause a bunch of stress for yourself. Um, not to mention the other person. So I always want to say that is like, you don't have to suddenly make your whole life like really mild or whatever. Like you could, there's ways of kind of channeling that need for drama. And like, that's fine. You know, I do that. Like, I like reading like dramatic fan fiction and stuff and whatever. It's like, it's all good. <laughs> and I think it could just be a aspect of communication too. Like, right. do you just need to talk to your partner, whatever situation this is about just like a bit more passion or excitement. Yeah. Or you have to like plan a little outing. Like maybe right. you just need to shake things up in a different right. way and it doesn't automatically, yeah. Be, and it's almost like doing that, communicating it, taking action before it like leads you to do like a dramatic outburst or start nitpicking or like you yeah. said, to just manifest this type of spike right. um, to happen. So that is true. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. There's lots of lots of ways to you know, even adrenaline or something, if you do Mm -hmm. something like high intensity with someone, you're going to feel close to them. And you're going to feel like you just went through some powerful experience that could maybe mimic the feeling of like having a big makeup, like conversation after you fight or something. So yes. Oh, hundred percent. I like that. Yeah. Someone else said that too. They're like, um, the high adrenaline activities that can bond you. So there's some study and it was showing like cup, you know, people that, uh, their first date was like a high adrenaline activity and people that it wasn't and the differences yeah. in brain waves, whatever. It was just, it was really interesting. Um, so that's true too. That's cool. uh, but I guess just as like a final wrap up here, is there just any like last bit of advice or maybe it's a mantra or an affirmation that's been present for you lately? Just like whatever comes first to mind of something that you just feel like you want to share with this community and anyone new that comes to listen. Um, yeah, whether it relates to you or them or just an overall idea, feeling, experience, just mm-hmm. a last bit of wisdom here. Yeah, so one of, one of my all-time favorite kind of phrases that I come back to time and time again is, it's short and simple, just no force, no pressure. So you could say, you know, I'm, I'm inviting in no force, no pressure, and then, you know, instead, like, I'm inviting in love and ease or something like that. Because force and pressure are how trauma gets in us is like, there's this air of force and pressure that is tremendous. Um, So if you're trying to heal by employing force and pressure, it will not work. So it's like, it's just kind of a easeful way for me to remember, like, everything you do has to be pretty much the opposite of whatever caused the trauma. So if, if a tr- like for me, force and pressure caused a lot of my trauma and fear. So if I'm going to use those tactics on myself, I'm not going to get far. So I have to instead use gentleness, compassion, you know, commitment. Like it's going to take a long time and that's okay. It doesn't have to be like overnight. So that's what I have to offer. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Especially since so many of us going back to what we were saying before, we just sort of force, push, pressure our way through things. Um, So that is really neat and kind of fill it in for, fill in the blank for what you need in the moment in your own experience. Yeah. Uh, Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and where can people find you, connect, follow along. You have such beautiful, insightful, educational, empowering content. I just Thank you. Yeah, I truly mean it. So where can people find you and all the stuff? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at Blooming with Emmy. It's also Pinterest and TikTok, all the same. Um, I Something that might be relevant to this conversation is I have a relationships course that's it's self-guided, but there are group coaching calls for kind of that live component as well. And it's all about having safe, supportive, empowered, joyful relationships after trauma. Um, That starts in April. So I don't know when this is going to air, but it's probably going to be a good time. Um, 
so if people are interested, you can go on Instagram and find it, or my website is emmymarie.com. I have a lot of free resources on there as well. And um, also my one-to-one coaching has a link on there too, if you are interested in diving deeper.